reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Well, welcome. Uh, let me add that as well to you today. And uh, how y'all doing? Okay, well, we're going to need to do better than that because uh, uh, we're about to go at it. And I just wanted to say that to you before we got started. Uh, uh, we're, you need to be ready. Uh, we're about to go at this thing about Jesus being king of everything that we've been leading at for the last month or two. Uh, we're about to hit at what for our culture is the thing. It's the thing whether you think it's a thing for you or not. It impacts almost everybody in our culture. In fact, anybody that tells me they're not impacted, <laughs> oh, they're really impacted. All of us, me included, this is a problem. It, it's a big deal. In fact, this is the thing that when people say to me they believe in Jesus, but when you talk to them, in this area, we have a hard time believing Jesus. We believe in him, but we just, we aren't sure we trust him. And the reason for that is it strikes at the very core of the foundation of our culture here in the United States and the disease that infects every person in spite of what you might think, it strikes at the core of us. So I hope you're ready, because it's about to go down. So uh, my name is Ed. I'm one of the pastors here at Community Christian, and uh, we're really glad you came in spite of that introduction. And uh, we want to take in uh, all, we're just Jesus people. That's who we are. And so we try to take the accounts of Jesus' life and we try to go through them, walk through them, and learn as much as we can how we can live life in the actual kingdom that he said was available now that we could begin to see on earth just like it is in heaven and that we could be a part of that. And I'm glad you're here today, and I just wanted to say to that to you up front before uh, it happens. So before we go into this count of Jesus, I want to look at it, words of Scripture uh, from a guy named Paul, who's a follower of Jesus, and in just a few words, he says this so succinctly uh, that it gets at our deal that I want to read it to you, and I'm going to ask you to read a part of it as well. Here it is, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. And then I'm going to ask you to read this last sentence out loud with me. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Now, it sounds like, it really sounds like to me, when I have you all read that last part out loud, that we all sort of agree with it. In fact, let's just do it again to get me pumped up to say the rest of this. <laughs> let's read that last sentence again. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Boy, you sound like it's just at the core of who you are that you believe that. But we live every day... And we spend, and we save, and we make plans. I mean, it's just very difficult to not act as if this is what there is. It's just very difficult to live your life 
as if right now and tomorrow and the stuff you have your hands on isn't the real stuff. And while you can read that stuff, it really, it's this life and our resources and everything that's happened that grabs our attention. And I know we're coming out of a pandemic, and I hate to be the one to bring this up, but there is a long-term uh, sickness in our country that's been going on as long as anybody can remember. In fact, you don't know anybody that doesn't remember when this is the way it is. And you might be infected with this disease, and one of the symptoms that you'll notice first is if you wind up sitting alone sometime and you think something might be missing, that you might be missing it. And then when you think about it a little longer, you think, but I think I can get it at Target. <laughs> or I might be able to order it on Amazon. But once it's delivered to your house or you went shopping for it and you picked it up and you have the experience or you went to Disney and you thought that would be it again and you realized, no, that wasn't it. So you took the box and you added it in your storage of what people used to park their cars in, but now it's storage for you. And you have the thought while you're out there, Maybe it's my three-year-old car. That's the problem. I need another one. Or you walk into your closet. And I just want to point out that statement, you walk into your closet, not look into your closet. You walked into your closet. It in of itself is a privileged statement, and it, it lends into our disease. And you find yourself looking around in the walk-in closet and say, I really don't have anything to wear. And of course, the disease is the discontentment disease. Always thinking you just, if you just could have a little bit more of that feeling you have, it would be done. But the Bible reminds us, Jesus says these words, that's where Paul gets them from. He doesn't say them exactly this, but this is his teaching that it's godliness with contentment that is the real game. It's building a life that, that's found in the foundation of trusting Jesus with everything, which means living your life as if he is actually right about everything. That's the kind of life we're looking for. I mean, after all, you just read it yourself. You brought nothing into this world. And you're not taking anything out of here. And theoretically, everybody in here agrees with me. Me too. It's just that right now, you just need a little more. You just feel like if you had a little more. Four years ago, just before the pandemic, Harvard University uh, did a study that they just released recently where they had talked to 4,000 multimillionaires. Now, that's the group. Get that in your mind. It's 4,000 multimillionaires, and they asked them three questions. On a scale of 1 to 10, are, how happy are you? Second question was, how much money do you have? And the third question was, if you're not happy right now, how much more money would it take for you to be happy? And then they could rate on that last question. They needed either two times as much all the way to ten times as much. You want to guess what the, what the leading answer was for multimillionaires of how much more they needed? was 10 times as much. Only 13% of the multimillionaires who were asked, were they happy, said yes, and said that money would play no 
and no benefit in making them any more happy. Now, most of us listen to a study like that and we say, oh my God, those people have a problem. If I had that kind of money, I'd, I'd be happy. But here's the truth about me and you. If you're not happy right now, you wouldn't be happy then. There's no real reason to think that money would change what would go up on your sense of contentment in life because godliness with contentment is great gain. You brought nothing into this world. And you're not taking anything out. And the test of whether or not you really, really get that down in you is how grateful you are. And gratitude, I mean, gratitude is always measured by whether you see the stuff you have as a gift or whether you somehow got it. Gratitude is always measured by, is this come to me? Like my hands were open and it fell into my hands and the way that you know you are grateful is do you keep your hands open or not? Are you generous? So that's really the question. How generous are you? I mean, really, that's really the question. And today in Mark, Jesus is going to use an example of what looks, it looks like to live a life that way. And it's a really short story. It's of a very grateful woman who offers a very simple example of trust. To be clear, there was nothing about this woman that would have gotten your attention. There was nothing about her clothes or her looks that would draw your eye. In fact, it appears she's one of the people that no one notices except Jesus. So Jesus draws the attention to her. Here's the scene at the temple. Along the walls were these bronze receptacles where people would come every week with their offerings, and they would put their offerings in there. Jesus sits down and watches this take place. He sees rich people putting in large amounts, and he also saw a poor widow, and she put in two very small copper coins. And then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. Now, at first that doesn't sound right. She only gave a little and they gave a lot. Pretty basic math. But then he explains what he means. He says, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Now, you might wonder, how did anyone know what people were giving? Well, in those days, there was no such thing as paper currency and no one was scanning QR codes to give online. So they would come with coins. And what happens when you put coins in a bronze receptacle? It gets loud. So people would make as much noise as possible. They would come with as many coins as possible to make as much noise as possible. And it became a bit of a show. They would come and that noise would tell something to the people about their success, about how they must apparently be blessed by God and how generous they were. And so their giving wasn't so much selfless as it was selfish. It wasn't giving, they were buying the admiration and honor of others. And so this is normal at the temple. People are watching and listening to see who's going to make the most noise. But what Mark points out is that the noise people notice and the noise that Jesus notices are not the same thing. This woman drops in her two coins and there isn't much noise, but in Jesus's ears, she might as well have been singing. He noticed and he wanted his followers to notice as well. 
Now I think one of the important parts that might seem odd to us is that Jesus is watching. Mark says that Jesus sat down and watched as the crowd gave their money. He wasn't just taking a rest, he was intentionally choosing to notice. And maybe that surprises you to think the Son of God is watching people give their money. Money seems like such an everyday mundane thing that God wouldn't be interested in. But if you read through the Gospels, clearly he does. The Gospels are full of Jesus teaching and talking about money. In fact, Jesus either taught about or used money in his teachings more than anything else. More than prayer, more than heaven, more than life after death. Which, if you've listened to how many followers of Jesus talk, you wouldn't get that idea. And you might even wonder why he talks about it so much, especially because he personally didn't seem to care about it much. He didn't have much money or possessions. He says at one point he didn't even have a place to lay his head. So why talk about it so much? Because Jesus understood that money is God's chief competition for human devotion. Jesus once said, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And notice he doesn't say, it's really difficult in this world of materialism and consumerism to balance the love of God and money. That is what we would say. No, what he says is it can't be done. It is impossible to serve both. One will have your life and the other won't. You will either put your trust in God or in money. You have to choose. So Jesus teaches a, a lot, a lot about money. And I think it's fair for me to sum up almost everything he teaches about money with saying money is just a test of your trust. That's all it is. Money is a test of your trust. Money and stuff, because Jesus knows they are God's primary competition in your life, Money is just a test of your trust. And consistently, what God wants for us, more than what you believe about him, God wants to be trusted. God wants to be trusted. He wants our devotion. And it's pretty easy to determine what you're devoted to when you can see, I mean, all you have to do is follow somebody's money and stuff. You look at a debit card statement or a credit card statement or a cash app transaction, and pretty quickly, oh, you go, oh, that's what you care about. Those are the things you really care about. Money tells a story of where your trust is. So here in Mark, Jesus is watching. And in case you think it's just Mark, no, Luke says the same thing. Luke records the exact same thing that Jesus is sitting there watching, and he's comparing what rich people are getting to uh, this poor widow and what she gives. And what I want to do before we get into the woman, uh, the widow part first, is I just want to say, I want to be really clear that I'm not making Jesus say something he didn't say. Jesus isn't saying there's anything wrong with what the rich people gave. Jesus isn't condemning anyone who was rich for what they gave. He's not talking about that at all. What he's doing is commending this a widow for what she gave and his commendation is based on the fact that he says she gave more she gave more she gave more than the rich were giving but the other factor is that jesus says she's a widow now a widow for us means that her husband is dead but technically there were so many women in that time in jewish culture that 
I mean, you could be married at 18 and your husband be, could be dead at 20. There were so many women that, it, that had husbands that had died. A widow did not technically just mean a woman whose husband had died. It meant a woman whose husband had died and she had never remarried. And in that context, I mean, she's got no support. I mean, she doesn't have anything. In Greek and Roman society, she might could have been able to have a business, or she might could have been able to have some land. But in Jewish society, that's not the way it was. She couldn't own anything. She has no security. She has no support at all. She has these two little coins. And just for our sake, we'll just start calling them $2. She has $2. In fact, I've heard people say when we read this story before, that people will say, well, that's how she was able to give it. She didn't have much, so she just gave the $2, because after all, $2 isn't much. She she just gave away the two dollars well two dollars isn't very much unless it's all you've got and you're hungry and then it's a whole lot I mean two dollars doesn't seem like a lot to those of us who store things in places for our cars and walk into closets but two dollars when it's all you have it's a lot and to to be honest with you Every time I would used to read this story, I would want to say to Jesus, Jesus, if you know she's a widow and you know it's all she has, why don't you, why don't you just do that Jesus thing? I mean, why don't you walk over to her and say, honey, you don't have to give the $2. I know it's all that you have. I'm just going to multiply this, and now you've got a lot. I already see your devotion. I already have it. I mean, isn't this the part of the story where you walk over and go, ma'am, just put that back in your pocket. Everybody else is dropping in so many coins. We don't need the little you have. God already sees your devotion. Don't you hear the noise coming from those things? You don't have to put that in. I mean, I expect Jesus to stop it. I expect him to give her something better. But he doesn't do it. Instead, he commends her. He draws attention to her. He points out what she's done, that she's so generous, showing us all what it looks like to live life that way. But you also have to ask, why does Jesus see more differently than I do? Because, I mean, she didn't give more. I mean, she really didn't. She didn't give more. She, he says she gave more, but, but she didn't give more. But Jesus is right about everything, right? So think about it. Jesus is God, which means he knows he has everything at his disposal. He has everything. In fact, there's a verse in the, in the Psalms, in Psalm 24, where it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Jesus has everything. And there's this foundation understanding that when it comes to money and stuff, that verse is really key for all of us. And I find that when people can't get that verse clear, it affects everything about them. Here's the key of that verse. You don't have nothing. There's nothing that's yours. Feels like it is. But it's not. We're just like the kid who lives in your house and gets real petulant, and they're living in your house, in your room, wearing clothes that you bought, food that the parents paid for, driving a car with the parents' name on the title, and they're thinking about their stuff. You ain't got nothing. That's mine. But no, it's not. It's not yours either. 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And we read it into the, in the beginning, and you all all sounded like you believed it. We came into this world with nothing. We all came in the same way, naked and crying, and we're all leaving the same way. It doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. And that's the key foundational principle of dealing with this God of money that corrupts so much in our culture. I mean, when you get that clear, it gets easier. So over the last 40 years of doing the kind of thing that I do, occasionally somebody in this church and other places that I've been who will have sort of a windfall. You know that they'll have $100 they didn't expect or $500 they didn't expect or $50,000. I once had a man give me $25,000 that he wanted to just give. And he said, I don't need this. It's just come to me. And I want to bless some people that are real in need in our church. And so what happens when that happens? He said, I, just, I don't want anybody to know about it. You just take care of it. And so when it happens, I'll talk to ministry leaders and we'll come up with people or a person or somebody struggling and we'll give the money to them anonymously. But we know that it came from that person. And if you walked to me up at, to me at that point and said, is that really hard to do? Well, no, because it ain't my money. It's real easy to give away other people's money. It is super fun because it ain't mine. It ain't mine. But I haven't ever handled any money that was mine. I haven't ever had any that way. And I want you to think about how much stress and how much anxiety and how much worry and how many political debates that we have that come down to money and how it affects my money or money that really isn't yours it already is god's he's just letting you use it he owns everything he gives it to us and the good thing is he gives us instructions on how to use it and it's all a test it's all a test of our trust and this woman jesus is watching and he says she trusted more she just trusts more. And the way you measure the trust is not the portion she gave, it's the proportion she gave. Not by the amount, but by the proportion. And you know this. I now have nine grandchildren. And if one of my little granddaughters who now have some of their, their own money, if I find out one of them had only $5 and it comes my birthday, and I open a gift from this sweet thing, and it's $5. Well, that's the most expensive gift I've ever been given. Because it's everything she has. That's what Jesus means. And if you own everything like he does, I mean, just think about it. To him, a gift of $10 million or $2 doesn't really matter because it's all his anyway, unless the $2 is all you have because it shows how much you trust. And I believe, I believe some of you are hearing God drawing you to a better picture of our world right now 
than you've had before of what kingdom life could actually look like. And so instead of me just blowing past that, I want to give a moment and pause and reflect on what life could look like for us if we lived in that kind of trust, that kind of devotion to God over his money. So we're going to take some time and we're going to deal with the sickness that is our culture that we're infected with that tells us it's ours and leads to our lack of trust and gratitude. And Steve's going to come lead us in that time. So what makes money God's chief competition for our hearts? Well, I think it promises to do what only God can do. I mean, money will say things like, if you had more of me, well, you'd have more peace and and less anxiety. If you had more of me, well, you wouldn't be so concerned about the future. If if you had more of me, well, people would respect you more and they would, they would desire to be around you. Money just promises to make us significant. Isn't that why um, we call someone's total amount of money their net worth as a person? I mean, everything in our world is just geared towards putting something in front of you that says, Your complete satisfaction, as Ed has already said, is only one purchase away. It's just just a little bit more. But only God can deliver peace no matter what your circumstances. He alone can give us significance and security. Money is very costly, ultimately empty substitute. It's kind of like salt water, how it quenches your uh, thirst for a second, but in the end, you're more thirsty than ever. So let's just take a moment right now just to consider, what are you trusting money for? Are you looking to money for security or for peace, for significance or success, maybe for comfort, maybe for pleasure? What are you trusting in money to provide that in reality only God can provide. So to begin that conversation, let's read these words of Jesus together. The words in bold, I'm going to ask you to read out loud with me. And then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So would you just take a moment and invite your Heavenly Father to reveal to you what you're trusting money for in your life.
And now again, let's read some more words of Jesus together. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, would you just ask God to help you to begin trusting Him over money? Ask Him to train your heart to trust Him and to trust your hands just to generously give as He does. And I know this topic of money, it can just bring lots of feelings of shame and, and guilt. And so would you just talk to God about that too? Just ask Him to remind you that there is no shame for those in Christ Jesus. So let's take a few moments and do that now. Heavenly Father, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart and that at times we have allowed our devotion just to be divided. Have mercy on us and lead us to trust you above the empty promises of wealth. Teach us to learn your generous ways of love in the name of Jesus. Amen. So Jesus commends this woman, this widow who gave more, because, of course, it's the bigger proportion. And that's one of the reasons that percentage giving is such a big deal in the Bible, because generosity is not measured by the size of the gift. It's measured by the proportion. I've had people say to me, uh, as talked to, through the years about this, you know, it was way easier for me to give the way God wants me to give when I didn't make as much money. I used to jokingly say, well, I could pray you made less. <laughs> Nobody ever wanted that. But when I got to the place, they'd say, when I made more money, the proportion, well, it just didn't make sense to me to give that much away. Like when I had $25,000 given $50 a week, uh, that seemed doable. But when I started making $150,000, well, $2,800 a week, I mean, my goodness, that's, that's a lot of money. And the reason, of course, is because there's more I can do with $2,800 than what I can do with $50. And so I cut the proportion. And I know if you haven't ever been there, that doesn't make any sense. But if you've been there, oh, you totally get it. There's something about the proportion. There really is something about the proportion that can just be challenging it involves it really does involve maintaining do i trust me to maintain this that came to me as a gift or do i trust the gift giver who do i trust and jesus would say more in the kingdom is always measured by sacrifice not by size of the gift your sacrifice it shows the truth about your love and devotion. Show me what you sacrificed for, who you sacrificed for, and I'll know exactly who you love. So, Jesus doesn't stop this woman. 
I still struggle with it. He doesn't say to her, hey, just put that back. It's all you have. Why doesn't he? Well, because Jesus knows that generosity seen by God, it's an opportunity. It's not an obligation. That when you, when you give and you trust God, it's not an obligation for you to give. It's an opportunity. But so many of us, when we hear it, and you hear somebody like me talk about it, and you stand up and you're in a church, and God bless those of you who came for the first time. I'm sorry. But you feel all these things. You just feel all this stuff because of your background. But it's not an obligation. You aren't obliged to do it. Jesus just knows you miss this huge Huge opportunity. So he lets her give. Because he knows you didn't bring anything into this world. And you won't take anything that's out of this world. But while you're here, your trust in him does invest for the next world. And so he says to his disciples who are concerned about this, when they see a rich man turn away and not follow Jesus... And they say to him, when he says, it's really, really hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of heaven. They say to him, well, then who's going to make it? Because we left everything for you. And he says, everyone who's left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake or for the sake of the gospel will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. And you hear that and you think, oh yeah, but he's not being literal. And I would agree with you if what you mean by literal is he's not focusing dollar for dollar. But because you are so focused on dollar for dollar, you miss the point he's making. You miss the fact that he's using financial imagery because he knows when he talks to you about money, he has your attention. You miss that he's trying to drive home the point that the return on investment for sacrifice in the kingdom of God is really, 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 really good. Like, where could you invest and get a hundred times as much that will last forever? So Jesus doesn't stop this lady for her sacrifice because he knows. He knows she has just made the investment of a lifetime. And he knows that he is going to bless her in ways that she can't imagine. So why would he stop her from the blessing she's going to receive? Why would he do that? So I know, I know, and I know you can tell, I know any time that I stand up and I have to talk about money and Jesus talks about it so much that he just forces us to do it, I know, I know that it makes some of you so uncomfortable and some of it makes uncomfortable and I love th those of you who it makes uncomfortable. So why would I do it knowing it's going to make you uncomfortable and nobody's going to want to talk to me today? <laughs> why? Well, because I believe Jesus is right about everything. And that means I believe that the way he says it works is actually how it works. And... I have 40 years of investing my life, my family, my money, my stuff, and I have not done it perfectly. I haven't done most things perfectly. 
And I live an incredibly blessed life. In fact, I don't know why all of you don't want my life. My life is the best. And I know how much in our society people live in anxiety in the pursuit of stuff. And I don't want to have a, have a conversation with Jesus where Jesus says to me at the end of life, Ed, you saw how goofed up people were in the United States of America, particularly people you knew in our culture. Rich and poor people in your culture were just running after stuff. And you knew it didn't belong to them. And you knew they couldn't take it with them. And you wouldn't talk to them about it. Why? And I don't want to have to say, well... It made me uncomfortable, Jesus. Just made me uncomfortable. It was a really, really awkward conversation. So as I'm finishing up, I believe what Jesus says here is true. I believe it to the core of my being. I know it feels like it's yours, but nothing you have is yours. Nothing. It's his. It's not just true about money, it's true about your body, it's true about your family, it's true about your relationships, it's true about your time. You came into this world with nothing and you will leave exactly the same way. So why would you disobey the Lord over something as stupid as money? The question is, do you trust him? And if you do, will you, will you allow him to help you? handle this stuff in the way that he says. And I can tell you that the words of Jesus from my own personal experience about truth, it's not a raw deal. It is not a raw deal. Jesus revealed to us a God who is good and generous, even to people who don't trust him. And when you trust him, he just a hundred times more than you thought he will bless you. But it begins with you trusting so maybe today is your day to step out and trust. And maybe it begins with something as simple as beginning to talk to us. Maybe you go to the Next Step Center today and we have a conversation. And we don't have to talk about money. Maybe you just want to have a step into our community because, as we've already said, we don't believe this thing of following Jesus, even trusting Jesus, even in this thing we talked about today, is some private kind of personal decision. In fact, I guarantee you, if you keep this private, this part private, you will never, ever get it right. You must bring it into the light in the community. So you will take a step and come to our next step class where we help you come into this community. But before we end today, I've asked Steve to come back and lead us in a time of communion with the Lord. Mm -hmm.